When I talk to property investors, they often tell me using debt is a key advantage over other asset classes. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rask Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rask AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Welcome back to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Campbell, and I'm here today with Owen Rask, my counterpart. How you going? <laughs> good. I don't know why I said counterpart. That's good. Good introduction. Kate. Counterparty? I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of risk on this side of the table. <laughs> um, how are you going? I am doing very well, and uh, I've put a fun episode together today. Yes. 10 things to avoid in the world of finance. Yes. yes. I guess there's a lot of things to stay clear of, so I thought we'd uh, outline a few of them. So... If you're new, if you're experienced, just a few things to steer clear of or to raise some alarm bells, maybe, mm. or some amber flags. Yeah. Some people say that it's easier to avoid mistakes than it is to achieve greatness. And I think for the world of finance, it's all about avoiding mistakes. Um, many of the best investors, for example, take their time and they avoid mistakes first. They, you know, to first finish, you must finish first, you must first finish, so to speak. So, we've got 10 things and some of them are a bit uh, more obvious than others um, and we'll explain as we go through. So, number one of the 10 things to avoid in the world of finance is not investing enough time into your financial foundations. Why is that, Kate? Well, everyone listening is already making a good start at this, Mm -hmm. but I think there's the risk that we can jump into investing too quickly when we haven't sorted out the basics. And by that, I mean things like getting out of high interest debt. So, if you've got a credit card charging mm. you 20%, it probably makes more sense to think about that first than mm. just jumping into investing. Uh, even things like getting your emergency fund sorted so you can sleep at night when you invest. Understanding some of the basics so you know if you want to be in a lower risk or a higher risk portfolio. Just getting 
some of that work done and some of the mindset, even understanding your relationship with money, all of that's really important to start out with. Yeah, I agree completely. It's uh, it's one of those things where people think it's daunting at first and that's why we try and break it down, keep it as simple as possible and also do the mini-series. Yes. So mini-series gonna... every you know, couple of years where there's normally like a get back to basics. This year we did investing month. Uh, people can refer back to that. And it's just a way to break down the key pillars of what goes into the financial foundations and uh, put them back together in the right way. So um, you don't need to invest that much time. Maybe it's a couple minutes. Maybe it's 15 minutes. Maybe it's half an hour a week. Whatever you think, you can pick one task. Maybe it's like super, I'm going to learn the basics of super this week. Yeah. Spend half an hour on it and then move on to something else next week. Yeah, especially if you get money out of the blue for some reason, maybe a payout or an inheritance or a bonus, you don't need to do something with that money immediately. Sometimes the best choice is just to leave it in a high interest savings account while you figure out the basics before you do anything with it. Yeah, like it. Number two is a get rich quick scheme. Charlie Munger says, uh, to, to get the wisdom of Mr. Munger, he says, just take away the quick and you'll probably be fine. Get rich quick can become get rich schemes. Um, so there are way, plenty of ways to get rich over time. Yes. Uh, our friends at Perla have the Get Rich Slow Club, uh, which is great fun, um, taking a different turn on it. But why would we avoid a get rich quick scheme, Kate? The thing is, investing does involve risk. Our money may fall on any given day if it's invested in the market. And so we don't need to amplify that risk by jumping into things that are too good to be true or maybe they might work one year, but they don't work the next year. So there's a lot of things. Sometimes they're completely legal and they might just be promising a really huge opportunity that might not eventuate. Mm-hmm. Um, so they might just be promising something that's too good to be true. Or it could be on the other side where it's actually something fraudulent. So that's why number one is really important by understanding some of the basics. And even we point people to the, the Vanguard asset chart so you can see what different things like the Australian market and the US market have done over time because then you realise if someone's telling you, I'll double your money this year, you look at those charts and go, that, that doesn't really happen. Mm. The easiest one that I've seen, and that's a really good um, way to wrap that up. But I think the, the easiest one I've seen is people trying to get rich out of individual stocks or crypto. Mm. Those two things over the last 10 years have been running rife online and uh, throughout a lot of conversations. And that the, the best performing investment over the last hundred and well, even longer than that, a few hundred years is the share market as a whole. And that's returned, let's say for round figures, around about 10%, depending on the market, depending on the time frame. So if you just think about 10%, if you're aiming for something above that, you're taking more risk and typically a lot more risk than what's involved in the stock market as a, as a whole. Um, and then if you're aiming below that, you're probably going more conservative and you're adding things at a lower risk like cash savings and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So that's one way to identify it. Another way to identify it is to just ask yourself what could go wrong with this investment. Um, and a lot of people don't stop and do that. So that's one way they go wrong. And you can check. In Australia, fortunately, you can check if a company has an AFSL, an Australian Financial Services Licence. Just go to the ASIC website, ASIC, ASIC website, and you can search for AFSLs. Mm. And that, that's why just having the foundations is important. So you can sort of look at things and ask better questions, which is really important. Even if you're using a financial advisor, you just want to have a little bit of a foundation that you can start to ask questions and go, well, why is this the right strategy for me? Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Number three, charismatic salespeople and talking heads. They don't exist in finance, Kate. Oh, 
There's still a few of them around. Business development managers, they probably have better, better titles now, but they're even with sort of managed funds, especially in different, maybe not with brokers as much, but mm. a lot of people will talk to you about the the pros of something and they'll tell you how great a company is or a managed fund is. They won't always talk about the risks and there's always risks. There's always risks to be aware of. And so that's something to be mindful of when you're investing that often people will tell you why something's great, why this property is great, why this company is great, why this fund is great. But it's up to you often to ask the questions of what could go on, wrong? What are the risks mm. here? Is this even suitable for me? Yeah. Um, imagine if the title was head of charisma or um, charisma manager, someone that is kind of like paid just to be a good talker. Yeah. Um, and often the people that happens. are paid to be the public face of the company are very confident and mm. charismatic and they'll, they'll make you feel really good about the decision you're about to make. So it's just something to be mindful of. Often the most confident person in the room when it comes to finance isn't necessarily the most knowledgeable. Yeah, I've found that a lot, to be honest. The people who talk often don't know much. And that's just a generalization, but it's it's true in my experience. It's the people that talk don't know that much about anything else. So for example, I'll give you like if you speak to someone who is like I if you speak to someone that's like say the the head investor of a company. They often know a lot about investing in this particular style, but you ask them about anything outside of that, they have like no idea. Um, business owners and founders are a bit different because they tend to have to be across everything. So they know they have quite a wide range of knowledge. But what I mean to say is like some people that are like kind of like trotted out to speak on stage or to go on TV, they're actually the people that have very little technical knowledge and that's how they do so well. And so you just have to be very careful about what they say. I think Mike Kemp says... Or as he's told me before, he said when the when the economist comes on, he like goes and grabs a cup of tea <laughs> because um, it's just so hard to forecast anything to do with the economy that it's not even worth listening. So you just need to know yeah. the things that you should listen to and the things that are actionable and those that aren't. Yeah, and it's worth you know when you read news headlines of anything, they'll pick the most sensational mm. piece of news that they can find or they'll interview someone and then they'll pull out one word and run with that for the whole article. That happens in finance too. They, they've got to sell, sell newspapers, get uh, eyes on pages. So they'll take a sensational headline and they'll blow it up. And yeah. so it's just worth being mindful that that happens with all news. And so just because it says something doesn't mean that's what you should do. Invert, always invert. As they say, always like take the opposite side of it. It's like, how could what they're saying go wrong? How could, what is the opposite of what they're saying? Is that more true? And number four is making decisions based on your emotions. Um, the monkey brain kicking in, Kate. Yes. So what we don't want to do is log into our brokerage account, go, oh my gosh, my ETF is down 5%. I have made a wrong decision. I better sell. This mm. is what we don't want to do. We want to look at our brokerage account a little less, but if we go in and we're feeling a bit nervous and scared, then we go, well, what was our plan? And so we might not have a plan. So this will come back to actually writing down what a basic plan of why you're buying that ETF or company and why you invested in the per first place, what would make you sell it? And then if you're feeling nervous or scared, well, thinking, well, what is my plan? Why did I invest in it? Was it a long-term decision I was making? If so, what happens on a day-to-day basis doesn't really matter that much because I'm investing for a 10-year goal. Mm. Um, 
even just listening to a, a podcast that sort of calms down your nerves about what's going on, not something sensational, talking to a friend about it, talking to an online Facebook group, because there's a lot of Facebook groups like even Cleanse My Millennial Money when things are a bit nervy in the market, someone will say something and then other people will provide some sort of port and say, it's about the long-term game. Yeah. Yeah, zoom out, get the perspective. Um, so important. And uh, we've done a couple of brain hacks on the show in the past. Yeah. Um, you can check those out if you want to learn more about how your behavior can influence your decision making. Um, and it's, I find in times of crisis or in times of emotional things, I go back to the facts more often. But you've got to be really careful when you do that. You don't seek out confirming evidence, which supports your narrative. So, oh, I made this investment because, and then you try and find things that would support yeah. that. You can always find some evidence to support a case to sell or to buy anything, yeah. really. Yeah, you can. So getting too passive with your passive investments. Kate, you got to tell us more about this. We've been told that passive investing is one of the great things. So how do you get too passive with passive? Yes. Well, people talk about making passive income and it's sort of brought out in a way that you'd never have to do any work again and it just sort of magically appears in your bank account. But the thing is, most passive income has some form of active work involved in it. And so, when it comes to investing, that might be reviewing your portfolio on a, a quarterly or semi-annual basis and you might want to add additional investments. So, mm. even if you automate it, you still want to check things are running in the background and that you're still working towards your goals. It might include things like updating your tax file number so you don't get withholding tax. So, logging onto your share registry. So, each ETF or company you invest in will be linked to a share registry that might include computer share or link market mm. services. So, if you're a first-time investor, you'll probably get something in the mail that says you can set things up. So, turn on email settings if you can, put your tax file number in, make sure your bank account details are there. So, if there is a dividend or a distribution paid, you either get it or you've turned on a dividend reinvestment plan, a DIP. Mm -hmm. Easy. And these are things that like it's, yeah, we, when we say bottom draw or set and forget, we kind of say set and nearly forget. Don't quite it's forget like about set it. set and monitor occasionally. Yeah. Uh, you can still just set a calendar reminder, quarterly update, check my investment portfolio, check my automations, check my budget. Uh, you probably need to do a budget once a year or when there's a significant life event. Yeah. But it's pretty easy to do to like, it's a pretty easy thing to like just kind of forget about it if you've got it on autopilot. So, you need to have those regular check-ins. Well, one of my friends hadn't been receiving dividends for about four years because she hadn't added her bank account details and they hadn't been able to contact her. So, these sort of things, you do need to stay mm. on top of it a little bit. Um, I think that's really important. Even like with your superannuation, you just need to check every so often to make sure your employer is mm. actually paying it. You've still got the right level of insurance cover if that's applicable to you. You're in the right investment option because sometimes our goals do change. Over mm. a decade, we might be a very different person. We might have very different goals. Our situation, our work will be very different. So, just don't get too passive with passive. I like it. Number six is concentrating your portfolio in one single industry, asset class or country. I might even say one single investment. You know, a lot of people just put all their money into one thing. It's a sure thing, Kate. They want to, uh, they want to pick a stock or an ETF and like, this is the one, um, the one and only that I need. Is that good or bad? I would say, especially for me as someone who's not an expert and even most of the experts don't do this, that I would not want to put all of my money into one single thing. Mm. And so, for me, how I work around that is 
by diversifying my investments. So I don't invest just in Australian companies. I don't invest just in US companies. I don't invest just in tech or in cyber security or in healthcare. I've got a range of different companies. I think if you added all the companies inside my ETFs, my baskets, mm -hmm. together there would be thousands and thousands of companies. So I'm invested in many different great businesses and things like bonds and cash across the globe. So I have a diversified portfolio. So if mm. one area isn't doing too well, I have lots of other investments in there as well. Yeah, I like it. It's such a such an important lesson. The free lunch, which is investing uh, through di with diversification is indeed the one that you get. Um, and it is such an easy way that, to de-risk a portfolio. I was um, doing a chat the other day with uh, Brendan Doggett from Sharesies for the Australian Shareholders Association. And uh, during that, we put up a slide and we showed that if you just invested in Aussie shares, your risk and return would be one thing. But if you add US shares over the past little while to that portfolio at 50-50, half Aussie, half US, you'd think, well, I'm just putting more shares into a portfolio that already has shares. But what we actually found when we just added more shares, and you'd expect this based on the math, is that that portfolio actually gets riskier and, uh, sorry, less risky and the returns go up. So you're adding another investment that is also risky, but just the fact that you have two of them means that there's less risk and that your returns go up. That's almost like something that you don't think about, but when you build a portfolio, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to spread your risk while also having growth. Yeah, and for me, that also includes having cash mm. as a form of emergency fund because that means if all my investments are performing poorly and for some reason... I also lose my job at the same time and I need to sell some of my investments. Well, maybe I don't have to as quickly because I have a larger emergency fund. So that's all part of my diversification. Like it. Number seven of our 10 things to avoid in the world of finance, Kate, is chasing income at the cost of growth. A lot of people love their passive income. They only invest if the company pays a dividend or does the ETF pay big dividends? I prefer listed investment companies over ETFs because they pay more dividends. These are the types of things that people might say. What do you think about that? So I've seen people in the past go on to websites and filter by highest dividend yield. So by company or ETF paying the highest dividend and go, well, I'll just pick that one because it makes sense, right? Why mm. wouldn't I want the biggest dividend possible? But often if you do it that way, you end up with, one, you're probably going to invest in a company or ETF you wouldn't have invested in otherwise. It might not be the right product or investment for you. And two, it might be paying a really high dividend yield at the expense of the underlying ETF investment company. Mm. Yeah. And so if we go back to the top of the show, we talk about get-rich-quick schemes. If you take a 10% return from the stock market, between 4 and 5 of that percent, so 4 and 5% of that return that you get will come from dividends. Now, a lot of people think, well, what I'll do is I'll just go for more growth and less dividends. And what actually happens is that it's kind of like this magic sweet spot where if you add too much income, you take away from too much growth. And so some people think, well, I'll put more growth in and take less dividends or I'll do more dividends and less growth. And this is why as like retirement experts will tell you, they say you should aim to try and take about 4% of your retirement balance out as income because that's kind of sustainable over time. That's kind of what we see is about 4%, 4 to 5%. So on a million dollar retirement balance, you might have 40 to 50 grand, maybe a bit more. And at the end of the day, that's probably sustainable. 
But a lot of people make very basic mistakes. So they go into investing and they go for the ETF, which has the highest historical yield that's printed on their website, or they go for the ETF or the share that has the highest dividend yield. Or let's take another example. They go to an apartment over a house because the apartment pays higher rent for the cost of that property, which is obviously a bad idea because you don't get any growth. And the apartment comes with a lot of holding costs as well. So there's no free lunch here as it comes to mm. investing for income over growth. You want a mixture of the two because it also, having growth protects your income. Having some income protects your growth because it means it's sustainable. So you want a good union of the two, which is why you kind of get in that 10% range. Uh, total return is what we call it. So you don't want your investment to be eating itself yes, to pay you the income, basically. Yeah, and a lot of those weird ETFs that have been created over the past few years, those ETFs are basically designed to take money from one pocket and put it in your other pocket. And the problem is it might sound great that you get a monthly or quarterly dividend, but the reality is by doing that, you're actually getting taxed and it's creating costs. So neither things are good for you. So in total return terms, you actually turn out to be a loser because of that. Uh, so it's not great. Number eight on our list is making and collecting too many investments. Kate, I've heard this before. You've said this before. <laughs> I think this is my favorite term you've uh, been talking about recently is not becoming a collector of investments because I've certainly been there. I've still got a few uh, in the bottom drawer that <laughs> I sort of don't know what to do with um, from my research and uh, try different things. Experimentation phase. My experimentation phase where I've got like $50 in a couple of different US stocks that uh, I've just kept in the bottom drawer. But I do think it's important that as you start to figure out what your strategy is and where you want to be invested and what your goals are, that you keep a really simple strategy and you try not to become a collector. So, we don't want mm. to own five different ETFs that are all owning the largest Australian companies. We only really need one for that. Yeah. Yeah, which is fair enough. And uh, that's the thing, right? That's what happens is um, we end up with just shares and ETFs all over the place, like people with 20 or 30 stocks and 20 or 30 ETFs. And then and you got $200 in a micro-investing app yeah. and $50 in this, this app. this managed fund over here. And uh, a good example of this is people that have like three or four super funds. It's kind of like, that's a bit wild. You're better off just having one, maybe two if you want one for the investing and one for your insurance. But at most, you probably want maximum two super funds. You want one... Maybe one is the ideal number. That's all I've got. And when it comes to investing, while there's probably no like right or wrong, we do talk about a core and satellite approach. A lot of people get bored with just investing in ETFs, which is fair enough, but that could be in one brokerage account. And the other, you might have 10 to 20 stocks, but you know that's a much smaller part of your portfolio. So you're not, you don't have collector syndrome, which is the diagnosis, the formal diagnosis. <laughs> you, you issue people that, do you? Yes. Uh, they come into the clinic and I give them, there's only a few that I give them, um, but that's one of the, the diagnoses. And um, there's the remedy for this is actually just to think to yourself, okay, what's my plan? And to set up a formal document to yourself. It could be a paragraph. It could be a little bit more. Why am I investing? And what are the general rules? Like, how many positions do I want? How am I going to manage my tax? Um, how am I going to dollar cost average? Like, add money regularly? Which broker am I going to use? Just write that down. And then it'll protect you from decisions in the future where you're like, oh, I heard Kate was talking about her favorite new mining stock on the Australian Finance Podcast. Not that she would. Uh, I might go and invest in that thing. Um, it stops you from making those decisions. Um, and I think it, it works wonderfully for me too to so have that plan in place. So... 
Um, number mm-hmm. nine, Kate, is falling, falling into a comparison cycle. A lot of people do this. You listen to anyone in a podcast, you jump onto social media, you see people talked about in the news, celebrities, whatever, comparisons. Yes. I think that's an easy trap to fall into, especially at the beginning, but it hits us all at different mm-hmm. points in our journey, especially when you're consuming a lot of money content, whether it's podcasts, YouTube, uh, social media, you're going to start to see people sharing how much they have and what they've invested in and how much they put aside this year. And there's always going to be someone that's invested more than you or is going to be ahead of you. There's also going to be a lot of people that have are behind you as well, but it can turn into this sort of echo chamber where you're only seeing people that are doing really well when you start consuming this content. So I think it's just worth keeping in mind that you're only seeing a really small amount of Australians or Americans or whoever you're consuming sharing their financial lives and most people aren't sharing. And so you are going to start benchmarking yourself against people that you probably wouldn't have met in real life. And I think Mm. that's quite a a trap we can fall into where we suddenly go, well, why don't I have $100,000 in my portfolio? I'm the same age as that person, but I don't think that really helps. I think it's really healthy that people do feel comfortable sharing about their finances online. And I know it's helpful to a lot of people because they get inspired and they can see how this person working in a non-finance industry built their wealth on their own or who knows. Mm. Um, But I, I really do think it's important to, at the end of the day, come back to what are your goals? What's important to you in your life? What are your priorities? And figuring out your own plan and your own journey and trying to keep your eyes sort of on your own lane that's yeah. very hard to do in practice yeah it's fair that's right like uh, i remember when we spoke to uh, luke trickett over in our australian investors podcast uh, luke trickett is the husband of libby trickett many people will remember from swimming and both of them were competitive uh, swimmers and incredibly good at it too but luke said something that was really interesting and pro- applies not just to investing but it applies to life um and what he said was, was when you're standing up on the, the block and you're ready to jump into the pool and you know you just got to get to the other end, you kind of just got to get to the other end. There should be no other focus. You shouldn't be looking across and seeing what the person beside you is doing or what the other person's doing the other way. Your only focus should be the goal. And if your goal at the end is just to swim to the other end of the pool, that should be where you're headed. And because the moment that you look sideways is the moment you slow down. And so by looking straight ahead, you kind of set a very pure objective, which is I'm just going to get to the other end. And sure, there's these other people in the pool beside me, but that's my goal. I'm going to go there. And he even goes to so far to say, is like you look at when you compare investments, you might look at your investing and you might go, well, the Vanguard one did this, the BetaShares one did that. This investor said that he did this. Like, who am I to compare myself to that? And he said, like, the whole idea of even just having an index is ridiculous because at the end of the day, that has no bearing of what, like, what you're going to do. If you aim for 10%, you aim for 10%. Like that's what you need to get to your goal sooner. That's what you got to do. And so I think like so many of us fall into this and um, envy is the one which we've said before, mm. you don't get any satisfaction from. So, um, And that, that's also the hard in your thing online. online, whether it's someone in the world of finance or just a celebrity or just someone you went to school with. You also don't know if they're living this lifestyle that they're showing you online because they've got a substantial amount of debt or they got a leg up. You don't know where someone started from. Mm. And so I think it's just really important not to let everyone else around you steal your own happiness. And so focusing on your own Mm. goals is important. And almost if you find yourself falling into continuous 
comparison traps when you're consuming this content. Maybe it's a good idea to step back or maybe use books because books are sort of more timeless and maybe that might be your way to sort out your finances and educate yourself that way. Yeah. And uh, Kate and I deliberately for years didn't do cameras and these types of things um, for any of our podcasts because we felt it wasn't really necessary. Uh, and I think that probably helped build a rapport with people who are kind of stim- thinking the similar way, Kate, in that you don't need to have all the pizzazz that comes when you've got like, we now have a camera right here, but... Um, <laughs> we can afford a camera. Yeah, now. we can afford the <laughs> camera. But... Um, yeah, you wouldn't want to have seen what we were recording in before. Um, <laughs> Back in 2017, yeah. 18. Uh. <laughs> but at the same time, like we didn't feel that that was as important no. um, as it is just to have a good conversation because you can listen to this podcast and you can come away and you think, okay, great. Yeah, if the conversations are inspiring you and giving you ideas and different things that you might want to explore, that's great. But I think it's when the conversation is leading you to a comparison cycle that maybe you could put a pause on that content for a while. Yeah, yeah. Number 10 of the 10 things to avoid in the world of finance. Trying to copy someone mm. else's goals and strategies. So it's a little bit of a lead on from the last one, but that's something really important to keep in mind when it comes to your finances is what works for me and what works for Owen is probably not going to work for you because you're Mm. a completely different person. Kate wants a forest. I want a farm. They sound similar, but they're different. I don't want that much forest. (laughs) I'd rather a farm. So everyone has their own unique, uh, I guess, take on the world, right? We're all built on different philosophies, which come from our education and our experiences. And so trying to just copy what everyone else does is probably a mistake. Uh, And that's why we say there's no one right portfolio, even though we might broadly say like, well, you should probably have some Aussie shares, some US shares and some property and you you could do it this way. We don't say that there's one rule for everyone because I think, that's been tried and it doesn't work because some people might have a, a a real strong passion for saving a lot of money and retiring early. And other people are like, well, no, I want to kind of enjoy, I want to go out, I want to socialize and be a very different human being. And so different you know, preferences for the way they want to live. So and that's why financial advisors exist because there yeah. isn't a one size fits all solution with your finances. Your strategy may involve super in a different way to your friend next door. Yeah. So I guess at the end of the day, what we're trying to say here is run your own race. Yeah. Yeah. Start with the end in mind, like sit back and take some time. And a lot of these things like comparison cycles too, often come from something else, an insecurity somewhere else in your life. Maybe as a child, maybe your, don't want to use the phrase, but money story, maybe your money story growing up is that your parents didn't have a lot of money. So now you overcompensate. Or maybe you went to a private school, but you weren't really a private school person because everyone else seemed really rich and you weren't really rich. So now you buy really expensive Gucci handbags to compensate for that. And that is actually just that cycle playing out in reality again and again and again. And sometimes the very best thing for you to do, even though it can be hard, is to speak to someone, a a professional. I mean, Mm counsellor, a psychologist, whatever the case might be. Yeah. I think the other thing I wanted to mention when it comes to not copying, like that's something we don't want to do is you need to feel ownership of your plan and your goals. Mm, And if you just replicate what the person next to you is doing, then you're not going to feel like it is truly your plan, your goal, your strategy. And so when things get tough and when your portfolio falls in value or the news headlines feel a bit scary, 
if it's not really truly your plan, it's going to be hard to stick to. So I think it's really important to have your own plan, have your own goals, know why you're working towards it. If a financial advisor creates an awesome financial strategy for you, you also need to have ownership of that. You need to ask the questions. Yeah, you got to be confident. As they, you know, as they say, sometimes you can't outsource conviction, meaning you can't take someone else's belief and take it as your own and be totally confident in it. Like some people pretend to be, but when the foundations shake, everyone panics. Uh, and it does shake when it comes to your money every now and again, when big life events happen, you've got to know why you're doing something and what is going on. Particularly if you're in a couple, you've got to know that you're on board with the plan and what the rules are and where you're going to go. So the 10 things to avoid in the world of finance, Katie, if I can summarize just briefly, is not investing enough time into your financial education. It doesn't take that long. You're already doing it by listening to this or watching this if you're on YouTube. Number two, Kate? Get rich quick schemes or anything that promises you things that are too good to be true. Yep. Just focus on getting rich slowly. Yep. As uh, the head of charisma at Rask, I can tell you that uh, charismatic salespeople, talking heads, sure, you can listen to them, but just be wary. Be, conf be mindful that uh, they may be overconfident in their opinions and take note of the risks. Number four. Making decisions based on your emotions. Mm -hmm. It's really important when investing that we don't make split-second decisions that can have really big effects on our finances long term. You thought about your investment a lot going into it. You need to think a lot of it, about it going out of it. Getting so passive you fall asleep. Yes. It's probably not a good thing. That's number five, <laughs> getting too passive with your passive investments. There is still some work to do if you want to grow wealthy and you want to uh, stay on top of your finances, your tax, these types of things. You can make it easy through automation, your, automation uh, and do all those things. Absolutely. We're big advocates of that. But at the same time, just take it easy and keep an eye on those details as you go through. Number six. Concentrating your portfolio into one single investment or country or asset or industry. Just think about diversification. It's a very important thing to implement in most areas of your life. It'll make things better. Yes, it will. Number seven is chasing income at the cost of growth. We could invert that and say chasing growth at the cost of income. You want to balance between the two. We call it total return and in investing. So we want to look at the total return. If you are looking at the return of something over the long term, don't just look from like one week, one month, one quarter, one year. Look for a few years. But the reason we say you know, past performance is not indicative of future performance is because people often just look at the last year and see what happened. Look over three, five, yeah. 10 years. And when you look at the performance of your ETF over 10 years, it doesn't include dividends. Yes. So make sure you think about that. Yep. Number eight. Number eight is making and collecting too many investments. So we don't want to become collectors and just keep chucking different things into the shopping cart. We want to be a bit more deliberate, especially as we work out what our plan is and we move on from that beginner phase to the more I've got my plan and I'm going to keep on working on it for the next 10 years phase. Yes. It's always exciting to buy something. It's not as fun to sell it in, when it comes to like financial things. I'm sure maybe some people get satisfaction out of selling chicken eggs or arts and crafts or something like this <laughs> that they've put together and they've put time into. But for most things in finance, um, it's very alluring. So number nine is falling into a comparison cycle, a bit of a comparison trap. If you end up in a situation where you just look across and you get a bit of envy or, you know, you, you see other people with certain things that you want, it's hard, but you kind of have to train yourself a little bit to just be grateful for what you've got. You can practice gratitude with a journal or just thinking about it. Number 10, lucky number 10. Copying and pasting someone else's investment goals and strategies. So you really need to focus on what's important to you and what plan is going to help you get there. Yeah, cool. 
So if you have any other things that you should avoid, make them fun as well. Maybe you want to avoid things that are a bit silly. Maybe they're a bit out there. Maybe it's like an old rule. Like I love um, those old investing rules, which are just completely wrong, like buy low, sell high. That sounds ridiculous to me. Um, if you have any of those, let us know. You can find us on Instagram. Heck, we're even on TikTok. That's how modern we are these days, guys. Okay? <laughs> uh, you can send us a message on uh, Spotify. You can use the feedback box. But if you are sending a question in or a topic for a new uh, episode, please use the link in your podcast player. It says ask a question because then you can select the Australian Finance Podcast and it goes to the right people, i.e. Kate and I. <laughs> and you can learn more about all these things on finance, investing, budgeting, saving, super, you name it, we got it. Over on the Rask websites, there's a link to take some free courses in there. Kate, 10 things to avoid in the world of finance. I'm going to go out there and avoid some of these things on my way out. But uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest, and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no-obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.